We'll grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the second book in the New Testament. And if you are reading along in the story, we're in chapter 25 this week, Jesus the Son of God. If you don't have your Bible or you don't have a copy of the story, grab a pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, take that pew Bible. That would be our gift to you. We would love for you to have that and be able to use that and uh, to dive into God's Word. Several announcements. Easter's two weeks away. Who are you inviting? This is always our largest attendance of the year on Easter Sunday. Excuse me, and I hope that you'll uh, make the most of the opportunity to invite someone in your life that maybe isn't a part of a church, used to be a part of a church, whatever it may be. We'd love to have them join us on that day. Fan the Flame, I think it's the seventh concert that Fan the Flame is putting on. We'll be at FCC three weeks from tonight, Plum and J.J. Heller. Tickets are available in the foyer, in the office, and at itickets.com. The choir will be helping us end our year-long journey through the story on Mother's Day during the Bible school hour at 9.30. They'll be sharing a cantata. Hope you'll come out and support them in that as we kind of see where we've been this year. 31 chapters in the story, and I think we only have seven left counting today. And then the 5K to raise 5K is Saturday, May 16, and hopefully you will participate whether you walk or run or maybe sponsor. We would love to have you be involved in that. The story up to now in 2015, we spent several weeks in January and February in the Old Testament. I won't read all of those for you now, but we did end with the story of Esther for such a time as this. And this month in March, we've been looking at Jesus. We looked at the birth of a king and how Jesus's ministry begins. Last week, Sam preached, did a great job tackling the prodigal son. I hope if you have not already, you'll reach out to him. Uh, That was the largest group he's ever spoken in front of. And I thought he did an outstanding job and, and really helped me see the the parable of the prodigal sons in in ways that I have not before. And today we tackle chapter 25, the fourth of six Jesus messages, Jesus the Son of God. And really the big idea is what difference does it make if Jesus is the Son of God? Does it make any difference at all? It's very trendy today with my generation and the generation beneath me to say, I want a little bit of Jesus I think he was a good teacher. I think he probably did some good things. A little bit of Jesus. But this idea that Jesus is the Son of God, that's crazy. This idea that Jesus is the Son of God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to grab a hold of that or not. And so most of our time this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. We're also going to look at Mark chapter 10 and try to wrestle with this idea, what difference does it make if Jesus was the Son of God? How's that impact our life today? And I've asked Jordan to come up. She's going to read for me some verses of Scripture from Mark chapter, see if I get this on here, Mark chapter 8. This is number 2, and she's going to read for us beginning with verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their <laughs> life will lose it. But whoever, wants to, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them, and when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Amen. You can hold that until the next time. Three questions about Jesus that we need to, to really grab a hold of. And I would just say if you're new to the faith, or if you're, you're grappling with the faith, you're not even sure you're a Christian at this point, maybe you want to be a Christian, you're not sure what that looks like, three questions we're going to tackle in Mark chapter 8. Who is Jesus? What will Jesus do? And how do I follow after Jesus? Three very compelling questions. Number one, who is Jesus? If we did man-on-the-street interviews and we went to Bloomington Normal or Champaign-Urbana or Springfield or Chicago and we just started asking random people, who is Jesus? We'd get a plethora of answers. We'd get all kinds of things from he's the son of God to I have no idea to he was a good teacher to maybe he was crazy, maybe he was out of his mind. C.S. Lewis maybe the greatest Christian author in the last 100 years, really tackled this and really went after the crowd that said, I want to accept Jesus as a good person, I want to accept Jesus as a moral teacher, but I can't accept him as the Son of God. In his book, Mere Christianity, just an excellent work. If you're wanting to go deeper in the faith, I'd highly recommend you read Mere Christianity. Lewis tackles this question. Here's what he said. I put it up on the screen. It's a long quote, but I want us to grab it. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool... You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently However strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Who, who was Jesus? I would make a claim for you today that Jesus was either a liar or Jesus was a lunatic or Jesus is Lord. 
And right here in this teaching, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is having this discussion with his disciples. What, what did they say when he asked the question, who do the crowd say that I am? Well, some say that you're Elijah. Remember, Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind, and the thought was he would come back in that way. And maybe some people were saying, Elijah's come back. Others say, it's John the Baptist. Others, another prophet. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And as my friend Cody Monkman likes to say, it's at that point, it was probably ako, taco, silent. No, no one wanted to answer. No one wants to be the first one to raise their hand. But finally, it's Peter who gets it right. And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the one. Peter gets it right. And Jesus says, get out there and tell everyone, right? No. Now, what did he say? What did he say? He warned them not to tell anyone that. Peter's the first one to get it. The disciples are gathered together, and he says, it's not yet time to reveal that. Who was Jesus? Peter says, you are the Messiah. Question number two, what will Jesus do? Mark 8 also tells us what will Jesus do. Jesus, in his own words, says, the Son of Man, that's his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man will suffer many things, the Son of Man will die on the cross, and on the third day, he will rise again. I think up to this point in time, it was probably um, unbelievably, incredibly awesome to be a follower of Jesus. You're going village to village, you're going town to town. The religious leaders, they don't really like you, but the people in the town, they are going crazy. You're healing, there's miracles, there's celebrations, and, and it's kind of that rock star phenomenon in many ways. And I think Jesus is intentional when he says, y'all need to understand something. He probably didn't say y'all, but he, you need to understand something that I'm going to be beaten. And you're going to be afraid. And I'm going to die on a cross. And you're going to be hiding behind locked doors. And the party, this celebration, it's not going to feel like a party. It's going to be tough, tough stuff. Have you been in the room when the doctor gave you the news and it's not the news you wanted and the lump kind of hit your throat and you're kind of wanting to hold the tears back and you realize with those words everything's changed for a very long time some of us have been there i think that's what's happening here with the disciples yeah we're into the messiah thing you're gonna reign and you know i'm gonna be secretary of state and i'm gonna be secretary of the treasury and it's gonna be great and jesus said whoa 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 slow down here I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to die, and it's going to be tough. And again, it's silence, and then our friend Peter speaks up again. And what's Peter say? Peter says, that's never going to happen. I'll never let that happen. We'll never let that happen. We're your disciples. So you've got to see in Peter's response two things, denial and rebuke. Denial and rebuke. And it's that point that Jesus utters, I think, some of the harshest words he, he ever shares to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of the kingdom. 
commentators are mixed. Well, why did he say, get behind me, Satan? Some people believe that he was actually speaking to Satan. That he believed that Peter was being tempted by Satan and, and that, in, in essence, Jesus was rebuking Satan through Peter. I, I don't buy that personally. I don't believe that. I think Jesus is trying to shock Peter and James and John and the other disciples and realize you can't fix this. There's no easy button. This is real life. And it's going to be real hard. But there is a plan. Who is Jesus? Jesus, Peter says he is the Messiah. What will Jesus do? He will suffer, he will die, he will rise again. Question number three, and I think this is probably really important for a lot of us who have been around the church for a while. You know, we've said, yes, Jesus is Lord of our life. We've said he's the Messiah. Wrestling with how do we live? How do we follow after Jesus? Jordan read very eloquently um, what Jesus had to say about that. In verse 34, he said, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. Luke, in a parallel account, Luke chapter 9, it says, take up your cross daily. Take up your cross every day. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. In the first century world, if you use that phraseology, let's go back a slide. If you use that phraseology, take up your cross, that meant one thing and one thing only. It meant death. You're sitting around the coffee shop, it's Saturday morning, and you're talking about the game the night before, and someone says, hey, did you know that Tom took up his cross yesterday? What you're actually saying is, Tom was crucified yesterday. See, the only thing that happened when someone would take up their cross is they were walking to crucifixion, and they would die that day. Their life was going to end. And so what Jesus is saying, you want to follow after me? Here's what you got to do. you got to deny yourself. And you got to die to yourself. And I've got to be the most important thing. And this is where it gets just incredibly, incredibly difficult for, for many well-meaning Christians. See, we want Jesus. We want grace. We want forgiveness of sins. We want happy Jesus. We want all of that. But the idea of denying myself? i got to stop doing some things? Are, are you kidding me? Dying to myself? I, I never heard about that. And if we're not careful, we bought into what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Give me heaven. Give me forgiveness of sins. But I'm going to live however I want to live. No one's telling me how I'm going to live my life. And Jesus says, you're coming after me. Denial, death, and follow me. He goes on and says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. It's an oxymoron. I want to save my life and I'm going to lose it, but, but if I'm willing to lose my life, I, I will save it. If I'm willing to lose my life for the gospel, I will save it. He, he's trying to shock him. He's trying to say the things in this world that, that you hold most dear, do they really matter? What's most important? And then I love this. Toby Mac made this last uh, phrase popular several years ago if i can find it here what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul what good does it do if you have all the greatest toys that 2015 can deliver if you lose your soul jesus is saying radical radical things about what it means to be a follower of jesus christ and sometimes 
radical scares us. Sometimes radical is just a little too much. Jesus is letting his disciples know. Jesus is letting us know. This isn't just the Sunday morning social club. This isn't just to put on the nicest clothes that we have and you know, go hang out for an hour. This is deny. This is die. This is follow. Well, in part two this morning, and this won't be long, but I, I want to give you an inside look at what I would say is the heart of Jesus. And Mark chapter 10 gives us that. Jordan's going to come and she's going to read verses 13 through 31. If you're in the story, if you're actually using your story, you're going to be on page 361 about halfway through. Let's hear that, please. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. You know, Mark is the most succinct of the four gospel writers. He's just kind of a lay it out there, not necessarily a lot of commentary. And in here, we see two pictures that I think really get at the heart of Jesus. And I think they're relevant for our lives today. Number one is this, we see Jesus's passion for children. He has an absolute passion for children. I, I can see it now. The crowds are gathered together and, you know, they're wanting a miracle or they're wanting some sort of a celebration or they're wanting this or they're wanting that. And all these little kids are coming up and they're annoying and they, they're tugging at Jesus and uh, they, they don't like it. Children, especially in the first century world, they weren't really supposed to be around. Certainly weren't supposed to be heard. But Jesus just loved the children. And he said to Peter and James and John, I don't know what you're thinking about. I want the kids here. I want the children here. 
Do not hinder the children from coming to me. And oh, by the way, my friends, if you don't have faith like a little child, that's bad news for you. If you don't have faith like these little ones, if you're so proper and so propped up and so formal and so full of all of your knowledge and all that you've achieved, you are going to miss the boat altogether. Are you like a child when it comes to faith? I got to be honest, I, I love the kids at FCC. I love the kids in our community. I love the joy and the passion that I see from kids that can't wait to come to Sunday school or can't wait to come to Sunday night youth group. They're so excited with their Bibles and to be able to dress up or whatever it may be. Um, I hope you see that the children's ministry and the student ministry is of the most important ministries that we have at FCC and, and the church universal for that matter. I get pretty bent out of shape when I hear people say things like, you know, I'm not really sure we need next steps. Kids, basement's good enough. Just a classroom. We got a beautiful sanctuary. We got a beautiful family life center. But you know, who really cares about it? It's just the kids. Jesus had an absolute heart for children. And he said, you need to be like a child. And I need to be like a child. And I'll tell you, I see great days ahead for the children's ministry and the student ministry of this church. I see more and more students growing up to, to go to Bible college and to be preachers and teachers and missionaries and, and, and other church leaders. But I see kids growing up and going places like Illinois State University and, and living strong for Christ and being a part of a, a campus ministry like Encounter Ministry, just making a difference for Jesus at ISU or U of I or Eastern or whatever it may be. For so many, the foundation takes place first in their homes, but also through the ministries of this church. Um, FYI, our Easter offering this year is going to ISU's campus ministry. I hope you'll give generously. Pete Coco is doing a phenomenal job. His staff is doing a great job. They don't make a lot of money. They're, they're making a difference at ISU. Passion number two is the call to die and deny. Now, does that sound familiar? That sounds like Mark chapter 8, doesn't it? You know why? Because it is. And so here's some of the takeaways from this chunk in Mark chapter 10. Jesus says, how hard